Part two, chapter four of Recollections of the Revolution and the Empire. This is a LibriVox recording, or LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. 1795, a visit to New York. Steamboats had not yet been invented, although this kind of motor power was already in use in some factories. We even had ourselves a steam turnspit which acted perfectly and which we used every week in cooking either the roast beef for our sunday dinner or the immense brown and white turkeys which were of a species very superior to that found in europe but fulton had not yet applied this discovery to boats and since i have touched on this subject i will relate at once how the thought was suggested to him between Long Island and New York there is an arm of the sea, a mile or more wide, which small boats can cross without interruption whenever the weather permits. Since it is not a river, there is no current, and the tide is only apparent from the elevation of the water and does not interfere with navigation. A poor sailor had lost his two legs in battle. Being still young and vigorous, he had a great deal of strength in his arms. The idea came to him to place athwart his bark canoe a round pole with wings at the two extremities at the right and left of the boat, which he was able to turn at will while seated in the stern. This ingenious system was observed by Fulton one day when he had hired the boat to go to Brooklyn on Long Island, and this gave him the first idea of applying steam to navigation. Trade with Albany, which was very considerable at this time, was carried on by large sloops and barks. Nearly all of these boats had good rooms, with a fine saloon at the stern, and carried passengers. The descent to New York took about 36 hours, as it was necessary to remain at anchor during the period of the rising tides. The boats always endeavoured, therefore, to leave Albany at daybreak. We accordingly went on board one of these barks in the evening, and before sunrise we were already far from the point of our departure. The North, or Hudson, River is extremely beautiful. The banks, covered with houses or pretty little villages, spread out on either side until you reach the very high and steep chain of mountains which runs the length of the continent of North America and which has various names in different localities, Green Mountains, Appalachians or Alleghenies. The river before entering the highlands forms a large basin over a mile wide, similar to that part of the Lake of Geneva called Le Fond du Lac, with this difference, that here the mountains rise from the edge of the water. The opening through which the river passes, situated between two steep mountains, can be seen only when you are very close to it. The water is so deep that a large frigate could be moored to the side of this passage without danger of touching bottom. The whole morning of the day after our embarkment we were sailing in the midst of these beautiful mountains. Then, the tide having left us, we went ashore to visit the historical place of West Point, celebrated for the treason of General Arnold and the fate of Major André. 
Although I have visited many different places and admired not a few great effects of nature, I have never seen anything comparable to the pass at West Point. Perhaps it has now lost some of its beauty if they have cut down the fine trees which dipped their ancient branches in the waters of the river. These mountain sides were useless for cultivation. I therefore hope, from my love of nature, that the desire of making clearings has not touched them. We arrived at New York on the morning of the third day, and here we found Monsieur de Talleyrand with Mr. Law. Their reception was most friendly. Both were alarmed at my thinness and the change in my appearance. They therefore would not hear of my proposed trip to Philadelphia, which it was necessary to make by stage. It meant that I would have to pass two nights on the way. My husband undertook the journey alone, and I was confided to the good care of Mrs. Foster, the housekeeper of Mr. Law. This good woman exhausted for my benefit all the prescriptions of her medical repertoire. Four or five times a day she came to me with a little cup of some kind of bouillon which she urged me to take. I submitted willingly to this regime, as I had been much disturbed by the lamentations of Monsieur de Talleyrand over my decline. The three weeks which we passed in New York have remained in my memory as a most agreeable period. My husband returned at the end of four days. He had much admired the fine city of Philadelphia, but what I envied him most was the fact that he had seen the great Washington, who was my hero. Even today I cannot console myself at having missed seeing this great man, of whom his friend Mr. Hamilton had spoken to me so often. I found again at New York the whole Hamilton family. I had been present at the time of their arrival at Albany, in a wagon driven by Mr. Hamilton himself, when he came to resume the practice of his profession as a lawyer, after having resigned the position of Secretary of the Treasury. As I have already stated, he gave up this position to have a better chance of leaving a small fortune to his children. Mr. Hamilton at that time was about thirty-eight years of age. Although he had never been in Europe, he nevertheless spoke our language like a Frenchman. His remarkable mind and the clearness of his thoughts mingled well with the originality of Monsieur de Talleyrand and the vivacity of Monsieur de La Tour du Pin. Every night these distinguished men, with two or three others, came for tea. Seated upon the terrace, the conversation which was started between them lasted until midnight and sometimes later. At one moment Mr. Hamilton would relate the story of the beginnings of the War of Independence, of which the dull memoirs of that imbecile Lafayette have since rendered the details so insipid. At another, Mr. Law would speak of his sojourn in India, of his administration of Patna, where he had been governor, of the elephants and the palanquins. Between them all, the conversation never languished. Mr. Law enjoyed these evenings so much that when we spoke about departure he became very sad and said to his butler, Foster, if they leave me, I am a dead man. 
three weeks had rolled around when the news became current one evening that yellow fever had broken out in a street very near to broadway where we were living that very night my husband and i were very ill i think from having eaten too many bananas or pineapples or other fruits brought from the islands by the same boat which had carried the fever fearing to be shut in by the quarantine i resolved to leave at once and at daybreak our trunk was packed and we had gone to reserve our places on board a sloop which was ready to sail we then returned to see mr law and make our adieu he decided then to leave also under the pretext of going to visit some property in the new city of washington which they were beginning to build in these purchases he compromised the greater part of his fortune our departure was so precipitate that i did not even see monsieur de talleyrand he was not yet up when we were already far from new york on our return we saw with the same admiration the fine pass at west point and this time we made a long promenade on land during the six hours our boat remained at anchor we ascended the hill upon which was situated the inn which was the place of the last interview between arnold and andre at new york i had seen the aged general gates who had known all the french officers and loved to talk of them i had been cautioned not to speak of the incident of major andre a subject of conversation which was very painful to him not because he reproached himself with the sentence which was pronounced in conformity with the rules of military justice but because it recalled to him the terrible reprisals made by the english who had executed a number of american prisoners i found my house in the best of order although monsieur de rochambeau did not expect us my little girl was also in very good health this absence of a month had appeared long to me in spite of the very agreeable society in which i had lived the yellow fever made great ravages that year at new york and i congratulated myself that we had left so quickly i resumed with new ardour my rural occupations my fever had departed with the change of air and my strength had returned the work of the dairy was resumed and the pretty designs moulded upon the butterballs informed my customers of my return our orchard promised a magnificent harvest of apples and our barn contained grain for the whole winter our negroes stimulated by our example worked with good spirit they were better clothed and better nourished than those of our neighbours I was feeling very happy under these circumstances when God struck me a most unexpected blow and as I then imagined the most cruel and terrible that one could endure alas I have since experienced others which have surpassed it in severity my little Seraphine was taken from us by a sudden illness very common in this part of the country a kind of infant paralysis she died in a few hours without losing consciousness the physician from albany whom monsieur de chambeau had gone to bring as soon as she began to suffer gave us no hope that she would live 
and declared that this malady was then very common in the country and that no remedy was known the young schuyler who only the day before had been playing with my daughter during the afternoon succumbed to the same trouble a few hours later and rejoined her in heaven this cruel event threw us all into a state of sadness and mortal discouragement we brought umber home and i endeavoured to obtain distraction from my grief in occupying myself with his education he was then five and a half years old his intelligence was very well developed he spoke english perfectly and read it easily there was no catholic priest either in albany or in the neighbourhood my husband who did not wish to have a protestant minister called himself performed the last rites for our child and placed her in a little enclosure which had been arranged to serve as a cemetery for the inhabitants of the farm it was situated in the middle of our woods almost every day i went to kneel upon the grave the last resting place of the child whom i had so much loved it was there that god gave to me a change of heart up to this period of my life although i was far from being irreligious i had never taken much interest in religion during the course of my education no one had ever spoken to me of religion during the first years of my childhood i had had under my eyes the worst possible examples in the highest society of paris I have been witness of scandals so often repeated that they have become familiar to me to the point of no longer moving me in this way every thought of morality had been benumbed in my heart but the hour had come when i had to recognize the hand which had smitten me i do not know exactly how to describe the transformations which came over me it seemed to me as if a voice cried out to me that i must change my whole being kneeling upon the grave of my child i implored her to obtain from god who had already recalled her to him my pardon and a little relief from my distress my prayer was heard god accorded me then the grace to know and serve him he gave me the courage to bend very humbly under the stroke which had smitten me and to prepare myself to support without complaining the new griefs which in his justice he deemed it proper to try me with in the future from that day the divine will found me submissive and resigned although all joy had disappeared from our household it was none the less necessary for us to continue our work and we encouraged each other my husband and i to find distraction in the obligation under which we were not to remain a moment idle the harvest of the apples approached it promised to be very abundant for our orchard had the finest appearance we could count upon the trees as many apples as there were leaves the autumn before we had essayed what is known at bordeaux as une façon this consists in turning over with a spade a square of four or five feet around each tree something which had never been done there before the americans indeed have no idea of the effect which that produces upon vegetation 
but when in the springtime they saw our trees covered with blossoms they looked upon us as sorcerers another act brought us great reputation instead of buying for our cider new barrels made of very porous wood we succeeded in finding at albany several casks which had contained bordeaux and also some marked cognac which were well known to us then we arranged our cellar with the same care as if it were to contain wine of the medoc we borrowed a cider mill to crush the apples a horse twenty-three years old which general schuyler had given me was hitched to it here is the story of this horse which i have not previously recounted the horse had carried him through the war and the general wished to let him die a happy death it seemed as though he had almost reached the end of his days when our negro prime saw him in the pasture dragging one foot after the other and reduced to skin and bones prime requested me to ask the general to give me the horse which he did with pleasure he had been a magnificent pure-blooded animal but he no longer had any teeth prime had much difficulty in leading the poor beast the four miles which separated the pasture from our stable every day he gave him a mixture of oats and boiled corn hay finely cut up carrots and so on this fodder in abundance restored to the fine animal the vigour of his youth at the end of the month i could mount him every day and soon at a little gallop he carried me even to albany without making a false step they refused to believe that he was the same horse this display of skill greatly increased the reputation of prime but to return to our apples the cider mill was very primitive it consisted of two pieces of channelled wood which fitted into each other and was turned by our horse attached to a pole the apples were fed into a hopper and when the juice had filled a large tub it was taken to the cellar and poured into the casks the whole operation was very simple and as we had very fine weather this harvest was a charming recreation my son who rode the horse during the day was convinced that without him nothing could have been done when the work was finished we found ourselves provided with eight or ten barrels to sell in addition to what we had reserved for ourselves our reputation for honesty was so great that people had confidence that we would not put any water into our cider this enabled us to sell it at double the ordinary price and all was sold at once as for that which we had reserved for ourselves we treated it exactly as we would have done with our white wine at le bouille the crop of corn followed that of the apples this corn was very abundant as it is the one which succeeds best in the united states where it is indigenous you must not leave the ear covered with the husk more than two days we brought together all of our neighbours to finish the harvest quickly on the spot this is what is called a husking bee 
we began by sweeping the floor of the barn with as much care as though we were going to give a ball then when night arrived we lighted several candles and the people assembled about thirty in all black and white and set themselves to work one of the party did not cease to sing or to tell stories towards the middle of the night we served to each one a bowl of hot milk which we had previously mixed with cider to this mixture you add five or six pounds of brown sugar if you are prodigal or an equal amount of molasses if you are not then spices such as cloves cinnamon and nutmeg our workers drank to our very best health the contents of an immense wash boiler filled with this mixture with which they ate toast at five in the morning when the weather was already quite chilly they left us in good spirits our negroes were often invited to these gatherings but my negress never went when all of our crops had been harvested and garnered we commenced to work our land and to undertake the labours which precede the winter under a shed was piled up the wood which was to be sold the sleds were repaired and repainted i bought a large piece of coarse blue and white checked flannel to make two shirts for each of my negroes a tailor was employed by the day at the farm to make them coats and well-lined caps this man ate with us because he was white he would certainly have refused if we had asked him to eat with the slaves although they were incomparably better dressed and had better manners than he but i was very careful not to express the least remark upon this custom my neighbours acted in this way and i followed their example and in our reciprocal relations i was always careful not to make any allusion to the place which i had formerly occupied on the social ladder i was the proprietor of a farm of two hundred and fifty acres i lived in the same manner as my neighbours neither better nor worse this simplicity and abnegation gave me more respect and consideration than as if i had wished to play the lady i never lost a moment every day winter and summer alike i was up at dawn and my toilette did not take long the negroes before going to their work assisted the negress to milk the cows of which we had ate during this time i was busy with skimming the milk in the dairy the days we made butter two or three times a week mink remained to turn the handle of the churn a task which was too difficult for a woman all the rest of the making of the butter which was quite tiresome was my task i had a remarkable collection of bowls spoons wooden spatulas which were the work of my good friends the indians and my dairy was considered the cleanest and also the most elegant in the county this year the winter came very early during the first days of november the black curtain which announced the snow commenced to rise in the west as we would have wished there followed eight days of bitter cold and the river in twenty-four hours was frozen to the depth of three feet before the snow began to fall when it began to snow 
it fell with such violence that you could not see a man at the distance of ten paces prudent people took care not to hitch up their sleighs to mark out the routes this work was left to those who were more in haste or to those whose business compelled them to go to the city or to the river then before venturing upon the river we waited until the passageways to descend upon the ice had been marked by pine branches without this precaution it would have been very dangerous to venture on the ice and every year there were accidents caused by imprudence the tide before albany and as far up as the junction of the mohawk rises several feet and the ice often does not remain upon the water our winter passed like the preceding one we frequently went to dine with the Schuylers and the Van Rensselaers, whose friendship never changed. Monsieur de Talleyrand, who was again living at Philadelphia, had been able to recover, in a very singular manner, certain articles which belonged to me, a medallion portrait of the Queen, a casket, and a watch which had been left me by my mother. He knew from me that our banker at the Hague had advised me that he had placed these articles in the hands of a young American diplomat. I have forgotten his name, fortunately for him, with the request that he should arrange to send them to me. But although Monsieur de Talleyrand had done his best, he had never been able to put his hand on this person. Finally, one evening, when calling upon a lady of his acquaintance at Philadelphia, she had spoken to him of a portrait of the Queen, which Monsieur had procured at Paris, and which he had loaned her to show to some of her friends. She wished to know from Monsieur de Talleyrand if the portrait was good. Hardly had he looked at it before he recognised that it belonged to me. He took possession of the medallion, and informed the lady that it did not belong to the young diplomat. Then he went at once to find the latter, and without any preamble, demanded from him the casket and the watch, which the banker at the Hague had confided to him with the portrait. The young man was much embarrassed, and ended by restoring all of these articles, which Monsieur de Talleyrand sent to us at the farm. End of Part 2, Chapter 4